Due to the current UK lockdown, this week's The Daily News and Brief podcast is being recorded remotely. Welcome to The Daily News and Brief podcast. Today is the 11th of June and this week's main stories are Boris Johnson has clashed with Sakia Starmer in the Commons over the government's handling of school reopenings. At Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday, the Labour leader said Johnson needed to take full responsibility for his own failures and accused him of having no coherent plan for the full reopening of schools. Responding, Johnson claimed Starmer had been inconsistent on the issue, saying he can't work out whether he's saying schools are not safe enough or whether we should be going back more quickly. He can't have it both ways. The clash comes after Education Secretary Gavin Williamson admitted most pupils will not return until September at the earliest. Ministers had previously said they hoped primary schools in England would reopen to all pupils before the end of June. Johnson has promised to launch a massive catch-up programme for pupils over the summer and beyond. Later on Wednesday, Johnson also announced new relaxations of lockdown measures, including plans for support bubbles, allowing those living alone or in single-parent households to combine with another household in England. The Prime Minister said the changes were aimed at easing loneliness among adults living on their own. New guidelines apply from midnight on Saturday and permit single parents with children under 18 or adults living alone to join with one other household in a bubble. Those within the bubble can act like a single household and do not need to maintain social distancing. The changes follow comments from a leading scientific advisor to the government claiming the UK's failure to enter lockdown sooner cost a lot of lives. Professor John Edmonds, an epidemiologist and member of SAGE, told the BBC on Sunday that while it would have been very hard to pull the trigger, we should have gone into lockdown earlier. Professor Edmonds has warned the epidemic is definitely not over and has cautioned against the easing of lockdown restrictions too quickly. Health Secretary Matt Hancock has disputed Edmund's comments and insisted the government took the right decisions at the right time. Elsewhere, Hancock has attempted to allay concerns about the virus's rate of reproduction after new analysis from Public Health England and Cambridge University suggested COVID-19's rate of transmission is edging upwards in some regions. Speaking on the BBC's Andrew Marr show on Sunday, the Health Secretary said the rate of reproduction, or R-rate, had not risen above one anywhere in the UK and insisted ministers would reimpose lockdown measures nationally or locally if the rate of infection spiked. However, Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham and Liverpool City Region Mayor Steve Rotherham have described the PHE analysis as a warning sign that it must be taken seriously in the northwest. Both have also expressed scepticism regarding the imposition of localised lockdowns, describing the proposals as unenforceable. Council and health chiefs say they are yet to receive information on how such lockdowns would work, given how many people cross local authority boundaries each day. On Monday, coronavirus-related fatalities fell to their lowest number since the start of lockdown, prompting Matt Hancock to declare the virus to be in retreat across the land. Department of Health records show there were 55 deaths, the lowest figure since 36 people died on the 20th of March, three days before lockdown. It comes after no new deaths were reported in Scotland or Northern Ireland on Sunday, although Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon cautioned, we can't read too much into a single day's figures. Meanwhile, health bosses have warned that 10 million people could be on waiting lists for NHS treatment by Christmas. According to a report by the NHS Confederation, the backlog of treatments, staffing challenges and social distance measures resulting from the COVID-19 outbreak will cause waiting lists to swell. The Confederation's most realistic scenario forecasts waiting lists of 10 million people by the end of the year, while the best case scenario anticipates a rise to 8 million. It has also warned some departments will only be able to operate at about 60% of normal levels following the crisis, and many exhausted NHS staff are likely to require additional support. At the government's daily briefing on Tuesday, Business Secretary Alok Sharma confirmed that non-essential shops could open from Monday if they comply with guidelines, with pubs, bars and restaurants still slated to reopen on the 4th of July. Boris Johnson has also said he intends to reduce the two-metre rule once a fall in infections makes it safe to do so. It follows calls from many hospitality businesses who say they simply can't make a living at two metres. On Wednesday, a new report from the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development revealed that Britain's economy is likely to suffer the worst damage of any country in the developed world as a result of the pandemic. 
The think tank said the UK's national income was expected to slump 11.5% this year, outstripping declines predicted in other developed nations. Meanwhile, business leaders from the travel industry have said the government has privately assured them that air bridges will be introduced by the end of this month. The corridors would mean arrivals in the UK from low-risk countries would not have to self-isolate for 14 days. Publicly, the government says its 14-day quarantine policy will help avoid a second peak of coronavirus, but it has been opposed by airlines, who have called it unlawful and ineffective, and questioned by leading scientists. A spokesman for a group of 500 travel and hospitality businesses said senior government sources had privately told them bridges would be in place by the 29th of June. Elsewhere, BP has announced plans to make 10,000 workers redundant. It blames a coronavirus-induced slump in demand for oil, telling staff this week that around 15% of them would have to leave the company by the end of 2020. The oil giant has not confirmed how many jobs will be lost in the UK, but the figure is estimated to be around 2,000. Meanwhile, luxury fashion house Mulberry is preparing to cull around one quarter of its global workforce. The majority of the British brand's 1,400 staff are in the UK. It too blamed COVID-19 for forcing its hand, saying, even once stores reopen, social distancing measures, reduced tourist and footfall levels will continue to impact our revenue. A series of high street names also announced major restructures this week. Frankie and Benny's owner, the restaurant group, confirmed plans to shut 125 sites and cut as many as 3,000 staff. Monsoon Accessorise is also set to close 35 stores with a loss of 545 jobs, while fashion chain Quiz has put its 82 financially unviable stores into administration. Elsewhere in the world, the World Health Organization, WHO, has confirmed the biggest ever one-day rise in global confirmed cases this week, with 136,000 infections reported in 24 hours. Most cases were recorded in South Asia and the Americas. On Wednesday, WHO took the unusual step of urging Pakistan to restore its nationwide lockdown. The organization advised the South Asian country to impose restrictions in a cycle of two weeks on, two weeks off. Prime Minister Imran Khan lifted Pakistan's national lockdown last week, citing the economic impacts of the restrictions. However, the country has confirmed more than 108,000 cases so far, and many of its hospitals say they are approaching or have reached capacity. In the Americas, Argentina confirmed more than 1,000 cases in a single day on Wednesday, following almost 3,000 cases reported in Chile on Tuesday. In Brazil, the government has restored virus statistics to its official website after a Supreme Court judge ruled that the figures should be reinstated. The information, including figures on deaths and infections in Brazilian states, was removed from view on Friday after far-right President Jair Bolsonaro claimed it was not representative of the country's current situation. More than 37,000 people have died from the virus so far, making Brazil the third worst-hit country in the world. Meanwhile, in the US, top infectious diseases expert Dr Anthony Fauci has warned the pandemic is far from over. Footage taken at a biotechnology conference on Tuesday shows Fauci describing the virus as his worst nightmare. His comments come as the US continues to relax its lockdown rules. In New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio has described the city's partial emergence from lockdown as a moment that every New Yorker should celebrate. At the height of the coronavirus outbreak, up to 500 New Yorkers were dying every day. This week, retailers, construction, manufacturing, wholesalers and non-essential retailers were allowed to resume work with some restrictions. Meanwhile in New Zealand, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has said she did a little dance when she learnt the country no longer had any active coronavirus cases. After more than a fortnight with no new cases, Ardern has moved New Zealand to the lowest level of its four-tier alert system. This means social distancing is encouraged but not required, schools and workplaces can open without restriction, public transport can operate freely and weddings and funerals can be held as normal. However, borders remain closed to foreigners. And finally, in China, new trade figures have revealed the economic impact of the pandemic. Customs data released on Sunday showed imports tumbled 16.7% last month, the sharpest decline since January 2016. Exports also fell 3.3% in May compared with a year ago, reflecting the plunge in demand from overseas. Research released this week by Harvard Medical School has suggested the coronavirus may have emerged in the Chinese city of Wuhan much earlier than previously thought. 
China's government reported the outbreak to the WHO on the 31st of December, but satellite imagery showing higher than expected numbers of cars parked outside major Wuhan hospitals last year suggest it may have taken hold in August, when there were also jumps in queries on a Chinese search engine for cough and diarrhoea. Beijing, which rejects any accusation that it is to blame for the subsequent pandemic, has called the study extremely absurd. Anti-racism demonstrations continued across the UK over the weekend. On Sunday, thousands gathered in cities including London, Nottingham, Glasgow and Bristol, where protesters pulled down a statue of Edward Coulston, a prominent 17th century slave trader. Home Secretary Priti Patel condemned the toppling of the statue, which was then thrown into Bristol Harbour, as utterly disgraceful, and even in Somerset police confirmed there would be an investigation into the act of criminal damage. While Labour leader Sakia Starmer said he believed the statue should have been taken down a long time ago, he also described the protesters' actions as completely wrong. That statue should have been brought down properly, with consent, and put in a museum, he added. London Mayor Sadiq Khan has launched the Commission for Diversity in the Public Realm to review landmarks around the capital in the wake of the incident. Khan said monuments that don't accurately reflect London's values should be considered for removal. It's a sad truth that much of our wealth was derived from the slave trade, but this does not have to be celebrated in our public spaces, he added. On Tuesday, a statue of 18th century slave trader Robert Milligan was removed from outside the Museum of London Docklands and protests took place outside Oriel College at Oxford University, calling for the removal of a tribute to imperialist Cecil Rhodes. Meanwhile, Neville Lawrence, the father of Stephen Lawrence, has spoken out in support of the recent Black Lives Matter protests, which was sparked by the death of George Floyd in police custody in the USA. In an interview with The Guardian this week, Neville Lawrence discussed police promises to reform and enshrine racial justice among its ranks in the UK. It's not been done. I don't know when it will be done. We should not be talking about it 21 years later, he said. His son, Stephen Lawrence, was murdered by a racist gang in London in 1993. Police bungled the investigation and a public inquiry later found errors in the 18-year-old's case were down to incompetence and institutional racism. Neville Lawrence said he believed the police force remains institutionally racist and could not be relied on to reform. His comments came as the UK's head of counter-terrorism, Neil Basu, condemned racial injustice in Britain. Basu, who is the most senior BAME officer in policing, wrote in an internal post to officers, What we are seeing in America, and here in the UK too, is anger directed not just at police brutality, but the racial bias built into the very fabric of our institutions and society, perhaps best illustrated in the UK by the huge disparity in young black men in the criminal justice system. According to the 2017 Lamy Review, while black people comprise 3% of the overall population in England and Wales, they account for 12% of the prison population. In the US, Minneapolis City Council has voted to dismantle the city's police department, which is responsible for George Floyd's death, and replace it with a new system of public safety. Council President Lisa Bender says, Our efforts at incremental reform have failed. Our commitment is to ending policing as we know it and to recreate systems of public safety that actually keep us safe. The police union and law enforcement officials are expected to oppose the move. Meanwhile, the former Minneapolis policeman accused of killing Floyd has made his first court appearance, where his bail was set at $1.25 million. Derek Chauvin faces charges of second-degree murder and manslaughter. Three other arresting officers are charged with aiding and abetting murder. Elsewhere, a 36-year-old man has been arrested on suspicion of driving his car into a group of Black Lives Matter protesters in the U.S. state of Virginia on Sunday, injuring one. Harry Rogers, who has described himself as president of the Virginia Ku Klux Klan, stands accused of assault and battery. In UK news... British police have received almost 400 new tip-offs about the disappearance of Madeleine McCann after a new suspect in the case was identified last week. A convicted German paedophile, named in reports as Christian B, has been revealed as a prime suspect. Met Police said they had received almost 400 pieces of information from the public. A spokesperson for Madeleine's parents said they were encouraged by the appeal's early results and hoped there would be information police could act upon. The prosecutor who pursued assault charges against Caroline Flack ahead of her death has defended his decision. 
Ed Boutrami said he decided to continue with the assault trial after the alleged victim, Flack's boyfriend, Lewis Burton, dropped the complaint because he was concerned about Burton's welfare. Prosecutors later came under fire for pursuing the charges after the Love Island presenter took her own life three weeks before the trial began. Boutrami said the general principles of domestic abuse, as well as evidence of Burton's injuries and Flack's admission at the scene, had led his decision to proceed with the case. Discussing the presenter's death, he added, you can't possibly anticipate that sort of thing. Property sales across much of England have returned to pre-lockdown levels, according to Zoopla. The property website said the number of new sales agreed had risen by 137% since the market reopened four weeks ago. A backlog in demand has also meant firmer prices, with average asking prices 6% higher in the last week compared with the same week in June last year. However, Zoopla said London continued to lag behind the rest of the country, with property sales now 24.8% lower than the week ending the 8th of March, just before the coronavirus lockdown. Housing markets in Scotland and Wales remain closed, with the next lockdown review due in Scotland on the 18th of June and in Wales the following day. Babylon Health, an app which allows users to hold private video appointments with GPs, has confirmed it suffered a data breach involving confidential patient information. The breach meant some users were able to access recordings of other patients' consultations. The issue was discovered by app user Rory Glover, who told reporters he had logged on to discover about 50 videos of consultations that did not belong to him. Babylon said the breach was the result of a software error and not a malicious attack. According to the app, the problem was resolved within two hours and the UK's data privacy watchdog has been informed. The Duke of York has claimed to have offered three times to assist the US Department of Justice, or DOJ, in its inquiry into Jeffrey Epstein. Responding to a formal request to appear as a witness in the criminal investigation, Prince Andrew's lawyers said, Unfortunately, the DOJ has reacted to the first two offers by breaching their own confidentiality rules and claiming that the Duke has offered zero cooperation. In doing so, they are perhaps seeking publicity rather than accepting the assistance proffered. New York attorney Jeffrey Berman later hit back, accusing the Prince of trying to falsely portray himself to the public as eager to cooperate with the criminal investigation. Berman said Prince Andrew had refused to give an interview. The Duke, who stepped back from royal duties last year, has been under pressure to cooperate with US authorities over his friendship with disgraced financier Epstein, who killed himself in prison last year while awaiting trial for sex trafficking. As of midnight, mainland Britain had gone two months without burning any coal to generate power, smashing a previous record of 18 days set a year ago. When England, Scotland and Wales went into lockdown and demand for electricity dropped, the National Grid took power plants off the network, including its four remaining coal-fired facilities, the last of which came off the grid on the 9th of April. So far this year, renewables have generated more electricity than fossil fuels, and that's never happened before, commented Simon Evans of Carbon Brief, an online environmental journal. Four people have been jailed for being members of National Action, a far-right terrorist group that was banned in 2016 after it celebrated the murder of Labour MP Joe Cox. 23-year-old Alice Cutter, who once entered a Miss Hitler beauty pageant under a name that referenced a Nazi death camp, was sentenced to three years at Birmingham Crown Court. Her partner, 25-year-old Mark Jones, was imprisoned for five and a half years, while 24-year-old Gary Jack and 19-year-old Connor Scothan also received custodial sentences. Cutter denied her membership of the group, but was described by the judge as an active member and a trusted confidant of one of the group's leaders. The Mayor of Greater Manchester has called for the widest possible investigation into the death of a 12-year-old refugee. Shukri Abdi drowned in the River Irwell in Bury in June last year. Abdi's mother said her daughter had been subjected to extensive bullying at school and a group of children were confirmed to have been with a 12-year-old in the period before she drowned. However, an adjourned inquest into Abdi's death is not examining allegations of bullying. The Black Lives Matter campaign has given the case renewed attention and has prompted Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham to call for a full investigation into the incident as well as the months leading up to Abdi's death. The UK's universities have suffered their worst ever performance in the World League table compiled by the research group QS. Almost 75% of the country's universities slid down the table's rankings, including Oxford University, which slipped from 4th to 5th place, and University College London, which fell two places to 10th. 
Imperial College London climbed one spot to reach eighth, making it the only British university in the top 20 to improve its ranking. QS Research Director Ben Souter attributed the falls to poor teaching and declining research impact, issues which have been compounded by Brexit and financial uncertainty. Elsewhere in the world... OPEC, Russia and its allies have announced plans to extend record cuts to oil production until the end of July. The group, known as OPEC+, Plus, agreed to cut oil supply by 9.7 million barrels per day during May and June to prop up prices that had collapsed as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. On Sunday, it agreed to extend the arrangement, which has been credited with helping crude oil prices to double in the past two months. As global lockdowns are eased, demand for fuel is expected to exceed supply sometime in July. However, OPEC has yet to clear 1 billion barrels of excess oil supply, which has accumulated since March. The record label that represents Drake and Ariana Grande says it will stop using urban to describe its departments, employee titles and music genres with immediate effect. The term, which was coined in the mid-70s, didn't originally carry any negative connotations, but has come to be used as a catch-all term for music of black origin, effectively grouping black artists into a single category, regardless of genre. Republic Records said it would encourage the rest of the music industry to consider following suit. Meanwhile, Marta Kaufman, the co-creator of Friends, has said she didn't do enough to promote racial diversity in the hit show. In a virtual interview, Kaufman said, I just wish I knew then what I know now. I would have made very different decisions. Now all I can think about is, what can I do? What can I do differently? How can I run my show in a new way? The hugely successful sitcom, which ran from 1994 to 2004, has been regularly criticised for its lack of diversity. Elsewhere, Netflix, BritBox and the BBC have all removed Little Britain from streaming services, citing renewed objections to Matt Lucas's and David Walliams's portrayal of characters from different ethnic backgrounds. Swedish prosecutors have confirmed they will be closing the investigation into the murder of Prime Minister Olof Palmer in 1986. Palmer, a social democrat, was shot in the back at close range in central Stockholm while walking home from the cinema with his family. The assassination has never been solved. The case's chief prosecutor, Krista Pettersson, said the investigation was being closed as the main suspect, Stig Engström, had taken his own life in 2000. Over the course of the investigation, more than 130 people claimed responsibility for the murder and 10,000 people were questioned. The unsolved killing has been described by the current Swedish Prime Minister, Stefan Löfven, as an open wound. Our facts of the week are... 90-year-old Hamako Mori has discussed her record-breaking video gaming in an interview with AFP. Mori, a Japanese grandmother who lives southeast of Tokyo, has played her way into the record books after being certified by Guinness as the world's oldest gaming YouTuber. In a video interview, the pensioner said she was passionate about playing games every day and praised the hobby as an excellent stress reliever. Mori has described gaming as her motivation in life and encouraged other older people to get involved, adding, it doesn't have to be video games necessarily, but it's good to do something. British man has spent six days down a well in Bali. 29-year-old Jacob Roberts is thought to have broken his leg after falling into the well while being chased by a dog. Unable to climb out because of his injury, he shouted for help but was unheard for days because of the well's isolated location in the village of Pekatu. He was eventually rescued on Saturday after a man who was on his way to feed cattle heard the Britain's cries and informed authorities. It is believed he survived on the water at the bottom of the well. The latest figures from the Treasury show 8.9 million workers are now covered by the government's furlough scheme, equivalent to more than 25% of the workforce. The figures cover the period up to Monday and show the cost of the coronavirus job retention scheme to the government now stands at almost £20 billion. A separate scheme for self-employed workers has attracted 2.6 million claims calculated to be worth a total of £7.5 billion. And finally, a campaign to hold one last nationwide clap next month has been backed by the Archbishop of Canterbury. 
The initiative hopes to mark the 72nd birthday of the NHS on Sunday the 5th of July with the biggest thank you to key workers in Britain's history. It is also proposed that a minute silence for victims of the coronavirus pandemic be held on the 4th of July. Anne-Marie Plass, who founded the Thursday Night Applause for UK Key Workers, has backed the campaign, alongside the Archbishop of Canterbury, who said, My sincere hope is that this weekend will serve as a powerful moment of remembrance, thanks and connection. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.